Unless otherwise indicated, Ratchet Book Club is intended for a mature audience. Viewer discretion is greatly advised. Welcome to Ratchet Book Club, where we read hood classics and good classics. I'm Derek. 916-633-1537. Ratchet and Ratchet at gmail.com is the email address. Uh, And you can find us on Ratchet Book Club. And you can find us at Ratchet Book Club on Twitter. Um, Leave a review at Podchaser or Apple Podcasts or wherever else you listen to the show at. Just let me know. Um... You can become a patron member at patreon.com slash single simulcast. I think that's about it. You know, I'm really enjoying this book. Like, I know it's early. It's only chapter five. Some shit can jump off. They've already got some errors in the book, but I'm enjoying the book as it is thus far. So let's go ahead and keep going. Chapter five. A nigga move a brick and he think he got you something. Young Carter. Oh, just call him YC or something. I don't know. The conference room in the Diamond House was in complete silence. Every hustler in the room felt awkward. It was the first time that the cartel had held a meeting without their boss, Carter, and everyone seemed to just be staring at his empty head seat. Carter usually started out the meetings with a statement or a quote, and with him not there, things were odd. Polo noticed the uneasiness of the henchman and stood up. He looked at Money and Mecca, who sat to the right of him, and then back at the henchman. Wait, I wonder, did Mecca tell anybody that he almost got murdered by somebody? That there's somebody who put a hit out on him? No, he's going to handle that on his own because he's a teenager? Okay, cool. He looked at Money and Mecca, who sat to the right of him, and then back at the henchman. He took a deep breath as he unbuttoned his Armani blazer. He walked behind Carter's former chair and rested his hands on the back. Family, we have suffered a great loss, but business must go on. Carter would have wanted it that way. The Haitians, them motherfuckers have no respect for the game. These niggas plan for keeps, but we won't bow down to anybody. Believe that. We have to let them know that the cartel still runs Miami. Point blank. Polo slammed his fist on the gloss oak table. The occupants of the room included all the head block lieutenants from each district of Miami. They all seemed to see their paper began to decrease and knew exactly what the reason behind it was. Polo looked at Money, who had a law notebook in front of him. Money, how much did we bring in this week? Money ran his finger down the pad and uttered reluctantly, 253000 This only added to Polo's frustrations. 
What the fuck is going on, fam? Our operation does a million easy. That's barely enough to pay the runners. What the fuck? Polo said as he focused back on the henchmen. Also, and this is me, what the fuck? Y'all taking notes at a fucking criminal organization meeting? That's what we doing now? Y'all taking notes? You got a secretary? You got a treasurer too? Are we going to have cookies and milk for the next fucking meeting? Is that what we doing now? Oh, we just taking notes now. We got Excel spreadsheets? Is it on Google? Did you upload it to the cloud? Stupid fuckers. One of the henchmen rubbed his hand over his face and goatee. Man, most of my workers are quitting or siding with the Haitians. They got niggas shook. Mati and his crew are trying to take over the city. God, niggas shook. Fuck out of here. Y'all need to recruit more thoroughbreds then. Real talk. We have to let the Haitians know that just because Carter's gone, it doesn't mean we land down. We have to get back at him. That's all I've been trying to hear. Mecca pulled out his twin pistols and laid them on the table. And you know what? Them motherfuckers tried to send some bitch me the other day. Like I wouldn't peep the shit. What happened? Polo asked. What you mean what happened? I left that bitch stankin' in the room. Mecca nonchalantly looked around the table. I told you about fucking with them hood rats, Mecca. We're in a war right now. You can't do that, bruh. You could have got yourself killed. Money said, obvious aggravation in his tone. Man, bitch ain't gonna catch Mecca slipping, believe that. I knew what the bitch was on from the jump. I just wanted to get the pussy before I offed her ass. Mecca leaned back in his chair. The henchman laughed at how cold Mecca's attitude was. Polo and Money were the only ones not amused by his overconfidence. They knew how wild and careless Mecca could be. They also knew eventually his rashness, if not controlled, would lead to their downfall. Before Polo or Money could respond, the room grew quiet. Everyone's eyes shot to the door. Some of the henchmen thought they were seeing a ghost. But it wasn't a ghost. It was Young Carter. Polo turned around to see Young Carter standing there with an all-black hoodie and a diamond cross that held him down to his belt buckle. Polo smiled. Knowing his talk with him had paid off. Mecca sucked his teeth, letting it be known he wasn't comfortable with young Carter's presence. Polo waved his hand over the table. Come in and join us. Young Carter scanned the room slowly and looked at each man present. He then walked over to a table full of hustlers. Everyone, this is Carter. Young Carter, Polo said, introducing him. Everyone greeted him with a simple head nod or a what up, and Carter returned the greeting with a nod. Money pulled the chair out that was next to him. Have a seat. Carter accepted the gesture and took a seat. Young Carter and Mecca traded mean stares as he walked over to the chair, but both of them knew that it couldn't escalate, seeing they were blood brothers. Polo cleared his throat and picked up where he left off. Carter peeped the surroundings and realized that his father was a powerful man. The man he went his entire life hating had boss status, the same thing he was trying to achieve. He looked at the henchmen and noticed that all of them wore luxury, expensive threads and didn't look like the hustlers he was used to back home. Miami had a whole different vibe. Young Carter stuck out like a sore thumb amongst the others. Carter was from the street. He was hood, and he couldn't help it, so he wore street clothes, knowing nothing better. While he wore Sean John and Timberland, the men were rocking Roberto Cavalli and Ferragamo suede shoes. 
and everybody wore black. He chuckled to himself. These niggas really believe they on some mafia shit, for real. Fuck out of here. A nigga move a brick and he think he got it or something. He couldn't understand why they had formed this organization. Where he was from, hustlers didn't come together at any point. It was a dog-eat-dog mentality, and everyone was out for self. In the game since he was 16, young Carter began moving bricks by age 21. He was what you call a bonafide hustler. His mother died when he was 20, and after that, he didn't look back. He went hard on the streets. He had Flint, Michigan's coat game on lock. Now at the age of 25, he ran the city, hooking up with a coat connect from Atlanta and completely taking over. Young Carter didn't know it, but he was following in the footsteps of his father. He focused his attention on what was being said in the meeting. We have to get at the Haitians somehow. We have to be strategic, Polo said as he sat down and began to rub his hands together. He was in deep contemplation, and for the first time, he felt the burden of not having Carter's strategic mind. Times like this, Carter was a genius at playing mental chess with the enemies, just like Santiago. In the middle of the discussion, Money's cell phone rang. Normally, he wouldn't pick up his phone in the middle of a meeting, but he had been waiting on that particular call. He flipped open the cell. Yo, he said in his low, raspy tone. He remained silent for a minute while getting the information from the other end of the phone. Then he closed the phone without saying a word. One of my sources thinks he knows where Mati resides, Money stated, referring to the leader of the Haitian crews that had them under fire. Maybe we ought to pay him a visit. Oversized Chloe glasses covering her eyes and Foxy Brown pumping out of the speakers, Mia Moore cruised down the interstate pushing 100 miles per hour in her rented GS coupe. Her long hair blowing in the wind along with the chronic weed smoke she blew out. She could afford to buy her own car, but in her profession she had to switch up whips like she did panties to be less noticeable. What? So, okay, that means she switches out whips every day, I hope. She took another long drag of the cush-filled blunt and held it deeply. Throughout the last two years, her and her crew put their murder game down. I mean, you couldn't mention murder mamas if homicide wasn't in the sentence. Murder for hire was the best way to sum it up. She had done numerous hits from a T. None of them resulted in these extreme measures. The recent loss of her older sister had Mia Moore's mind churning. She wanted to get revenge on the man that killed her blood. But first, she needed to see Mati to get more information on this guy. Only thing she knew about him was that his name was Mecca and that Mati had beef with his family. When they took a job, they usually didn't ask a lot of questions. The only question they needed to answer was how much money was involved. I swear that nigga dead. Word to my mother, Mia Moore said to herself in her strong New York accent. She pulled off the freeway and entered the town of Little Haiti, where Mati lived. After taking several back streets and dirt roads, she made it to Mati's residence. Mia Moore looked at the elegant mansion and the 15-foot steel gate that was the entryway. She pulled the luxury car up and stuck her hand out the window to push the intercom button. A video surveillance camera faced directly towards her from the gate. Why, state your name, a voice sounded in a Haitian accent. 
Mia Moore yelled loud enough that she could be heard. Yo, it's Mia. Who? Mia Moore, motherfucker. Open up, she spat out of frustration. A brief moment of silence came about just before the sound of the metal clanked, opening up for her. Mia Moore maneuvered the vehicle through the gate into the long driveway leading up to the palace. She noticed the Haitians were scattered throughout the property, all holding assault rifles. It was only the second time she had been there, but the view amazed her once again. The grass was perfectly even and greener than fresh broccoli. The driveway was filled with luxury cars and lined with beautiful flowers. As she got closer to the front of the house, she noticed that a birthday party was going on. It was about 50 children in the front yard with noisemakers and birthday cakes on their faces and hands. She saw all the children gathering around watching the clowns make balloon animals. The kids screaming loud in excitement, and all of them having a ball. A beautiful dark-skinned girl with long, kinky hair was front and center. She had on a princess crown and was happily being entertained by the clown that she instructed him on what balloon animal to make. That must be Matisse's daughter, Mia Moore thought, immediately noticing the resemblance. She felt bad for intruding on an obvious family event, but she needed to speak with Matisse. She also saw a couple of grown women amongst the crowd, obviously the mothers of some of the children. She thought about returning another day, but she had to find out more about Mecca. She was itching to slice his throat. It was only a matter of time. Mia Moore made her way to the front door, where two dreadlocked men stood guard. I'm here to see Mati, she stated as she stood before them. Without saying a word, the guards, both with pistol in hand, stepped aside and opened the door for her. Mia Moore stepped in and admired the crystal chandelier that hung from the cathedral ceiling. The glass wraparound stairs stood in the middle of the room and sat on white marble floors. The all-white walls and furniture gave the home an immaculate look. Mia Moore headed to the back for the sliding glass door. Another man stood in front of me with a pistol in his holster. Unlike the other men, he didn't wear dreads. He had a neat low cut, but was darker than all the other guards. Mia Moore looked past him, trying to spot his boss. Where can I find Matisse? I need to check you before you approach Mati, he said, shifting his stance. I left the guns in the car, Mia Moore shot at him. Sorry, Ma, I still have to search you. He shrugged his shoulders and crossed his arms. Mia Moore let out a loud sigh, letting him know that she was irritated. She held out her hands and spread her legs. Her seven skinny jeans hugged her large behind. Her stiletto heels made her assets seem even more enticing as she remained bent down and he began to search her from the feet on up. He felt her tiny ankles in search of a gun holster. You know I can't fit a damn pistol in these tight-ass jeans. You never know, he said, continuing to feel her upper leg. He paused, his nose level with her crotch. Smells good, don't it? Mia Moore said, hip to his game. Yeah. Smells very good, actually. He looked up at her and gave her a perfect smile. Too bad you'll never see it. I wouldn't even let you taste it. Hurry up. I ain't got all day. Mia Moore turned her eyes to the ceiling. She didn't even give him the respect of looking at him. The man was obviously embarrassed as he hurried up and finished searching her. Once he was done, he opened the sliding door and pointed her towards Matisse, who was laid out in front of the pool, accompanied by beautiful women.
There were beautiful women swimming completely nude in the pool while a shirtless Matisse watched in enjoyment as he sat on a beach chair, his feet crossed, and his hands behind his head. His dark skin glistened in the sun, and his muscular abs seemed to poke out of his stomach. As Mia Moore slowly walked over to him, the clicking of her heels against the ground gained his attention. He slowly sat up and looked at Mia Moore, admiring her shape and oversized behind. He loved the way the jeans hugged her hips, and the way she switched them when she walked. Her thighs seemed to stick out more than her waist. Matisse's fantasies were short-lived, as he realized that Mia Moore was more than just a stunning woman. She was a cold-hearted killer, too. His dreads were much neater than his henchmen's, and the tips were bleached brown. He shook his head, letting them fall freely from their original ponytail. Hello, Mia Moore, he said, greeting her with a smile. Hi, Matisse, she answered as she took a seat next to him. Sorry I interrupted your daughter's birthday party, but I really need to talk to you. Hey, man, no problem. Mia Moore, me girl, you know, he said as he put on his shirt. Yeah, I know. But listen, I need to know more about this nigga Mecca. Me and Moore stared in Matisse's eyes with deep sincerity. Matisse saw the desperation in her eyes and stood up. Won't you come to me office? We talk about it. Me and Moore nodded her head and got up to follow Matisse. Just as they were about to reach a glass door, Matisse's daughter came running out. Dada, dada. The clown made me a draft, see? She handed him the balloon animal. Yes, me see me baby girl's draft. Wonderful. Matisse scooped her up in his arms. Dada, when you coming out to play with me? Dada got to talk to me friend, Mia Moore. Then me come back to you, okay? He said before he kissed her on the cheek. Okay, I have to use the bathroom now. His daughter said as she wiggled down and ran towards the wraparound stairs. Matisse stared at his only child and smiled. He looked back at Mia Moore and said, That's me baby girl right there. Mia Moore smiled and continued to follow Matisse into his back office. She walked into the office, where Matisse had shelves of books. In fact, with his extensive collection, the office sort of looked like a library. His shiny red oak table sat in the middle with a deluxe leather chair behind it. Matisse made his way over to the chair and sat down. He waved his hand to the seat in front of him. Sit, sit. Mia Moore accepted his offer and sat down. Matisse continued. Me sorry to hear about your sister. Me never meant for that to happen, you know. Yeah, I know. Mia Moore dropped her head. Look, me still pay you, okay? Matisse pulled the briefcase from under his desk. Mia Moore looked at the briefcase and Matisse popped it open. It was 50 stacks. 10% of the agreed amount that they were to be paid after the job was finished. She knew that they didn't deserve the money because they didn't finish the job, so she declined. No, Matee, I'm good. I just want to know how to get at the motherfucker to kill my... A loud scream came from upstairs. Ah! It was the voice of a little girl. What the fuck? Me and Moore turned around and looked towards the door. Matisse instantly recognized the voice to be his daughter's and grabbed the gun from his drawer and hurried to her aid. Armed Haitians rushed upstairs where the girl was, and what they saw devastated them. There were five bodies lying in their own blood, and Matisse's young daughter stood in the middle of them.
She had discovered them when she went to use the restroom. The dead bodies were scattered throughout the hallway, each of them with double gunshot wounds through her head. Matisse's heart dropped when he saw his daughter screaming in the middle of the massacre scene. He hurried over to her and scooped her in his arms. Mia Mora followed him up the stairs and was completely flabbergasted when she saw the slaughter. Oh my God, she whispered as she put her hand over her mouth. Young Carter drove the van down the interstate while Jay-Z's reasonable doubt pumped out the factory speakers. He looked in his rearview mirror and saw Money and Mecca, both dressed in baggy clown suits and size 44 shoes, taking off their wigs and wiping off the clown face paint. Damn, Mecca yelled as he forcefully snatched off his red wig. He was totally enraged that he didn't get a chance to kill Matisse. I didn't see him. He was on the pool patio, and then when I snuck back in, he was gone. I should have popped him when I first saw him, but he had a guard by the door. He must have ducked off somewhere to smash that female that came in, Money added, notably discouraged also. Carter got off on the highway and pulled into an empty parking lot where Mecca's Lamborghini was waiting. We'll get him next time, he said confidently, throwing the clown van in park. Mecca pulled off the costume and jumped into his car. If there is a next time. Because what we just did, Matisse's security is going to be extra tight. We may never get that close to him again. Fuck. Carter and Money jumped in with him, and they pulled off on their way back home. They had just sent a clear message. The cartel wasn't about to lie down. Chapter 6 In the middle of a war, there's no room for weakness. Young Carter Mia Moore sat Indian style next to her sister's grave. Her spirit broken and feeling weak without her big sister in her life to guide her. Anissa was the reason why Mia Moore had been put onto the street life. She had taught her everything that she knew. And now she was lost forever at the hands of the game. Mia Moore had always known that the possibility of death was high because of the lifestyle that she and her crew led. The same way that she was willing to murk a motherfucker with no ifs, ands, or buts about it, she knew that somebody, somewhere, was willing to do the same thing to them. She just never thought that it could happen to Anissa at the tender age of 25. If she could turn back the hands of time, she would have definitely done things differently that night. It wasn't her idea to use Anissa as a pawn. But she was outvoted by the rest of the murder mamas, and the majority always ruled. Things are always so much clearer in hindsight, and she wished that she had convinced him to come up with a better plan to get at the notorious cartel. It had been weeks, and it was the first time that she had been to visit Anissa's resting place. This is all my fault, she thought as tears formed in her eyes. She tried to fan her face to stop her tears from falling. She hated to cry, but it was no use. The tears trickled out of her eyes and stained her cheeks as she put her face in her hands, allowing her soul to release the pain. I'm sorry, Nisa. If I had been on point like I was supposed to be, this never would have happened, Mia Moore uttered out loud. She knew that wherever her sister was, she could hear her. She hadn't told anyone how she felt. Not even Ares and Robin knew the guilt that she felt over her sister's untimely demise. She knew that the moment she had lost sight of Mecca's black Lamborghini that her sister's life had been put on a countdown. How did I let this happen? She felt the coldness from the grass that was still wet from the morning dew creep into her body. She shivered as she closed her eyes and thought of her sister's face. She bowed her head and prayed to God, 
feeling a closeness to a niece that she had never known while her sister was alive. I'm sorry, niece. Young Carter pulled his black Range Rover up to the cemetery and sat in his car for a moment to gather his thoughts. He was about to face his father for the first time. His first attempt had been interrupted by the Haitians, but now he had no excuse. It was time to make peace with the man who had created him. He got out of the car and walked up to the large monument that was his father's tombstone. He put his hand on it and leaned into the large marble, his head down. A spectrum of emotion shot through his body as he read the engraved inscription. Carter Diamond, beloved husband, leader, and father of four. Diamonds are forever. He ran his hand over his face as he tried to contain the sorrow that took him over. He didn't know why he suddenly felt love for his father, but there was an unexpected connection between father and son that transcended even death. I know that you know I'm here. I don't even know why I decided to stick around. For so long I wondered about you and why you left. Why I never knew you. I understand now. I can't say that I can forget the abandonment that I experienced growing up without a father. But I do forgive you. I swear on everything I love that the motherfuckers who are responsible for your death will never hurt the family. Carter began to walk away. He didn't think that there was anything left to say. As he made his way back to the car, he stopped in his tracks when he saw the beautiful woman leaning against the passenger door. She was dressed in black Donna Karen slacks that hugged her hips and loosened at the legs. A black Donna Karen sweater and silver Jimmy Choo stilettos. The closer he got to her, the more he recognized her face. Hi, she greeted as she stood with her silver clutch bag in hand. Damn, Ma, I didn't peg you as a stalking type, he commented with a sexy smile. A tiny dimple formed on the left side of his mouth, and that feature immediately became her favorite part of him. I was about to say the same thing, seeing as how I was here first, she replied, returning his smile with one of her own. I saw you pull up just as I was leaving, so I decided to wait here for you. Who are you here for? Just a family member. No one I was real close to, he responded. I just wanted to pay my respects. He noticed that her eyes were red and swollen and there were bags underneath them. She looked tired and weak. Although she was still beautiful, there was something different about her. You alright? he asked. Um... She paused to think of the best way to describe her current state of mind. Surviving. My sister passed away a couple weeks ago. That's why I'm here. The woman shuffled nervously in her stance and looked at her feet. I'm sorry to hear about that. Yeah, me too. She stared off into space, and the tears returned to her eyes. She wheeled them away and shook her head as she looked back at Carter. I'm Mia Moore she said, offering her hand to him. Oh, I'm worthy of a name this time. Carter chuckled as he took her hand in the heads and shook it gently. Her name, exotic enough to compliment her around the way features, fit her perfectly. Her brown shoulder-length layers were curled loosely and shaped her almond-colored skin. Her white teeth composed a perfect smile, and her matte cosmetics were applied just right, not too much 
but enough to make her skin glow. I told you, if you're worth my time, I'd see you again. She tiptoed and peeked at the tattoo that displayed his name. Carter, she said aloud. He noticed how she never let go of his hand as she intertwined her fingers with his own. The sound of his name rolling off her pouty lips was enticing, and he couldn't help but be intrigued by her. It was nice to meet you, she stated as she walked away. She didn't let go of his hand until she was forced to, because of the widening distance between them. As he watched her strut away, she waved one last time and got into a silver Nissan Maxima and pulled away. Carter shook his head from side to side, grateful for her departure. He knew that if he ever got to know her, she would be his weakness. He smiled to himself as he watched her car disappear around the corner and then hopped into his own vehicle and departed. In the middle of a war, there's no room for weakness. Love will get you killed, he thought as he made his way back to the Diamond Mansion. Bree stood over the kitchen table and argued as her mother, uncle, and twin brothers ate breakfast. Uncle Polo, I'm not going out with this big, ugly bodyguard attached to my hip. How am I supposed to chill with my girls with him following me everywhere? Polo told her, It's not negotiable, Breeze. You're not to leave this house alone. One of our men will escort you wherever you need to go. If you don't like that arrangement, you better ask one of your brothers to accompany you. I got plans, Mecca stated quickly. Breeze rolled her eyes at Mecca and hoped that her other brother would come to her rescue. Money, please, she begged. Sorry, B, no can do. Uncle Polo and young Carter set up a meeting between me and the Board of Advisors at Diamond Realty. I'm going to be taking that over, and I need to sit down with the board to make sure that they understand that this is still a family business. Yeah, yeah, whatever. Who said that you were going to be the one to take over the real estate company? Mecca inquired. Young Carter and I discussed it, Money replied. We think it's best. And I didn't have a say in the decision? Mecca asked in irritation. Young Carter overheard the conversation as he walked into the room. No, you didn't, Mecca. He gave both Breeze and Taryn kisses on the cheek, then patted Polo on the back. There's enough responsibility for all of us to get in on some part of the business. The real estate company is where Monroe needs to be. We need to keep one of us clean and legal now that we're at war with the Haitians. We never know where this might lead, and the less Monroe's involved, the better. Carter slapped hands with Monroe and then sat down at the table. Polo smiled at young Carter's authoritative approach when dealing with his younger brothers. He knew it was only a matter of time before the young man assumed a leadership position in the cartel. Yeah, you're right. Mecca responded hesitantly as he slapped hands with his older brother. Mecca still didn't like the fact that Carter had appeared out of the blue claiming to be his father's son. But the more he got to know young Carter the more he respected him. There wasn't a doubt in anyone's mind regarding his bloodline, and he was slowly beginning to warm up to the idea. Have you eaten, Carter? Taryn asked. No, I haven't. Taryn stood to fix him a plate and put it in front of him. Thank you. Breeze whined as if she was still a child. Uncle Polo! Polo sighed and pointed his fork at young Carter. Will you tell your sister that she doesn't need to leave the house without one of the men? Carter asked. Where you need to go, Breeze? I'll take you. Thank you. 
At least one of my brothers is willing to do something for me, she stated in playful exasperation. She grabbed Carter by the hand. Come on, let's go. We'll get something to eat later. Carter grabbed one last forkful of eggs and put it in his mouth before Breeze pulled him out of the kitchen. Taryn laughed out loud at the sight. Looks like Breeze has found one more man to spoil her. That child is rotten, she stated with a smile on her face. Carter maneuvered the Range Rover in and out of Miami traffic as his sister sat on the passenger side, the huge Ralph Lauren sunglasses covering most of her face. I haven't gotten a chance to kick it with you much, with everything that's going on. Carter wanted to know how his presence in Miami affected Breeze. I know it seems like the only thing everyone's been worried about is the cartel. It feels like I'm living out some old gangster movie or something. I just want things to be normal again, she replied, looking out the window. So what's your take on everything that happened? You really want to know? Breeze pulled her glasses from her face and rested them on top of her head. Carter nodded his head and waited for her to answer the question. I feel cheated because I only got to know my father for 19 years. I loved him and I wanted him to be there when I got married and when I had my first child. I wanted him to be here for me. I feel like now that he's gone, everything's going downhill. My mom is afraid every single day that the Haitians are going to harm us. Since meeting you, Mecca's become extra hard. It's almost like he's trying to prove himself to you. It's like he wants to make sure that everyone knows he's Carter Diamond's son. Monroe was the same. Uncle Poe was the same. And what about you? Me? I'm dealing with everything the best way I know how. I cry every morning when I think of my papa. It's like one minute I'm upset with God for him taking my father away. And then the next minute, I'm thanking him for bringing you into our lives when he did. You're my brother, and I'm glad that you're here, Carter. I don't know how, but you make things seem like they'll be okay. I'm just here to help, Breeze. At first... I wanted to say fuck Miami and move on with my life as if none of you ever existed. But that would be selfish. I've never had a family, so I want to get to know you, Mecca, and Monroe. Well, I could tell you the way to win my heart, she said with a smile as bright as the summer sun. How's that? Everything today is on you. I got you, sis. Breeze found out that she and Carter shared the same love for fashion. She took him from store to store as she shopped, picking up every designer she could find. He didn't complain or rush her in the same way her other brothers did. And he even gave honest opinion when she asked about an outfit she tried on. How's this? She asked as she walked out of the dressing room in Saks Fifth with a skin-tight seven jeans that fit low on her hips, almost revealing the crack of her ass, and a Fendi blouse that barely covered her breasts. It was sexy but definitely not something that he wanted his sister to wear. I'm not buying that shit. As a matter of fact, you ain't wearing it even if you buy it yourself, so you might as well hang that back up. He flipped through his Apple iPhone, ignoring her. Come on, Carter. It's not that bad, she argued. He didn't respond and just continued to focus on his phone. You're just as strict as Papa was, she stated with a little bit of attitude and a laugh. I'm a grown-ass woman, you know big head ass. I heard that, 
He stated calmly as he leaned back in the leather chair, still flipping through his phone. He shook his head once as she disappeared behind the dressing room curtain. As he waited for her to come back out, he mumbled to himself, She gonna have me fucking these little niggas up in Miami. They went through several outfits, and he had a comment for each one. Nah. That's whack, sis. Shit don't even match. Breeze went in and out of the dressing rooms until she finally grew tired of his disapproval. Okay, Carter, she said. Out of all the stuff I tried on, you've only liked three outfits. You tell me what's hot. Carter put his phone on the clip of his belt buckle. Alright, let me show you how to do this. All that hooker shit you and your girlfriends be wearing is trash. Excuse me, everything in my closet costs a grip, she replied, one hand on her hip. That don't mean it's classy. I'm a man, so I know what I'm talking about. God damn. Oh my fucking... What? Wait, what? Did he... What? I'm a man, so I know what I'm talking about. <laughs> he quickly located ten different items for Breeze to try on. You want these niggas to respect you out here, especially you. You're the only daughter of Carter Diamond. You need to dress like the princess that you are and make men come at you correct when they check in for you. I hear you. Breeze took the items from his grasp. She tried on the first outfit, which was a pair of cropped white Ferragamo pants that hugged her shape as if they were tailor-made just for her body. Her white shirt had a sharp collar, dipped low in the cleavage area, and fit snugly around her slim waist, her sleeves stopping short just above her elbows, and a large black fashion belt adorned her waist. She slipped her feet into a pair of black stilettos. She had to admit, the outfit was nice and made her look like a kingpin's daughter. She walked out of the dressing room and did a full spin for her brother. That's more you, he stated as he stood to his feet. He checked his presidential Rolex and noticed that they had been shopping for hours. He called one of the store associates over to him. Can you have these items boxed and bagged for us, he asked. The woman grabbed the items from Breeze as she changed back into her clothes. Let's grab something to eat before we head back, he said as they walked out of the store. I know just the place. It's right up the street, Breeze responded as they walked out of the store. Breeze had at least five bags in each hand as they walked the distance to the restaurant. Carter followed her across the street and into an elegant building that was made of marble and glass. He looked up at the sign that said Breeze's. He looked at her in confusion. She smiled. Papa bought it for me on my 10th birthday. Carter nodded, and they entered the restaurant to have a late lunch. There was a long line of patrons waiting to be served. The establishment was crowded, so they inched through the crowd until they reached the hostess. Hello, Miss Diamond, the hostess greeted, obviously recognizing Breeze. Right this way. There were groans and complaints from the people who stood waiting, but Breeze and Carter eased right past him and into the lavish environment. The voice of Billie Holiday filled the darkening space, and all eyes seemed to be on Breeze. As they passed the bar, Carter saw Mia Moore sitting on a stool with two other women, and he winked at her as he passed by. When they arrived at their table, Carter pulled out the chair for his sister and then sat across from her. Ari's eyes followed Breeze and Carter to their table. Mia Moore, isn't that the guy from the casino? Yeah, that's him. 
Miyamura's arched eyebrows frowned at the sight of him. A twinge of jealousy crept through her heart, but she knew that she had no right to be upset. She didn't even know Carter. Just because she was feeling him a little didn't mean anything. Damn, is that his girl? Robin asked. Must be, Miyamura replied, her tone a bit more sarcastic than she intended. Me know you ain't green, Aries teased. Hell nah, Miyamura exclaimed. Jealous for what? I don't even know the nigga. Yo, for real, it ain't even that serious. Since when have you ever known me to be that type? Whoever that chick is, she rocking them Prada shoes, Robin nodded her head in approval. Miyamura rolled her eyes and sipped at her drink as she tried not to focus on Carter. What are you looking at? Breeze asked. Just a friend, he replied. Breeze turned around and stared towards the bar at the three young women who had so much of her brother's attention. You making friends like that already? You've only been here a couple weeks. It's not like that, so get your head out the gutter. Breeze laughed again. It was refreshing to see her smile. It was then that Carter realized he had never seen his sister smile, and it looked good on her. This was the first time he had ever seen her happy. She peeked back at the girls one more time and then whispered, Which one is she? The one in all black, he replied as he watched Breeze look back. Quit staring, Breeze. Shit, she's staring back, Breeze shot back. She must think I'm your girlfriend or something because her face is all twisted up. Breeze giggled. After she took a sip from her water goblet, she said, You better go talk to her because she looks mad. Carter looked past his sister's head and saw the look on Mia Moore's face. He stood from the table and looked down at Breeze. I'll be right back. Robin turned on her bar stool. Don't look now, but here comes your boy. I think I need to use the bathroom. Come on, Aries. What you mean, come on? Me don't have to go with you. Aries stated with a devilish grin. She licked her lips at the sight of the tall, dark man coming towards him. Aries, Miamore whispered. Why me have to go with she? Because she don't want you all in her face, bitch. Now come on, Robin laughed and pulled Aries away. Miamore laughed for the first time since her sister died, and Robin winked at her as they disappeared around the corner. Carter slid into the seat next to Miamore. Why is it that you're everywhere I seem to be? I don't know, but if I had known that you and your girlfriend would be here, I would have gone somewhere else, she replied with an attitude. Carter smiled at her jealousy. They barely knew each other, yet she was already staking her claim. Don't be like that. He scooted his stool closer to her and whispered in her ear, I'm only interested in one woman in this room. She smiled, but scooted her own stool away from him. I don't want to have to fuck your girlfriend up, so don't start no shit, she said seriously. That flip lip you got don't suit you, ma. I'm going to have to grow you up. God damn, this nigga's... Golly. (sighs) Oh, really? I can't wait to see you try to do that, because a man can't change anything I don't want him to. I'm going to do me regardless. I most definitely ain't changing for a nigga that already got a chick. Me and Moore turned to see Breeze walking towards him. Here comes your girlfriend. You better make sure she act right. Me and Moore faced the bar and sipped her strawberry daiquiri. Carter shook his head as he watched his sister approach. He definitely wasn't impressed by Me and Moore's feistiness, but he liked the challenge. 
He knew that it wouldn't take long for her to fall in line, so he let her smart mouth slide for the moment. I just got a phone call from Mommy. I told her that we'd do takeout and bring dinner home, Bree stated when she walked up. That's fine with me, but first I want to introduce you to a friend of mine. Breeze, this is Mia Moore. Mia Moore, this is my sister, Breeze, he said with a wicked smile. Mia Moore, an embarrassed expression on her face, cut her eyes at Carter. He had let her sweat and show her jealousy when all along he was with her sister. She smiled and shook the girl's hand. Nice to meet you, Breeze. You too, Breeze replied. Carter stood to leave and didn't say a word as he walked away from Mia Moore and headed for the door. No, this nigga didn't. Mia Moore watched his back as he made his way through the crowd. Carter stopped at the hostess desk and wrote a note to Mia Moore. He asked the hostess, Can you hand this to the young lady at the bar? He handed her a $20 tip, then left out behind Breeze. The hostess tapped Mia Moore's shoulder. Excuse me, miss. Yes? The gentleman that just left asked me to give you this. The hostess dropped the folded piece of paper on the bar. Thank you, she replied as she eagerly opened it. Meet me at the end of the South Pier tonight at midnight. Don't act like you ain't coming, Ma. Do yourself a favor and be there. I want to get to know you, Mia Moore. Carter. P.S. Dinner's on me. Mia Moore smiled as her friends reappeared at the table. What did he say? Robin asked. Nigga didn't say nothing, Mia Moore said. He came over here to tell me that chick is his sister, that's all. The friends resumed their conversation, and Mia Moore threw in an occasional comment to make them think that she was paying attention, but her mind was on Carter. She was definitely going to the pier that night. She checked her cell phone to see what time it was and immediately started counting down the minutes until she saw Carter again. So, my guess is, me and Moore and Carter are going to get bunned up. He's going to take her to the house at like the end of the book. And she's going to meet Mecca. When she sees Mecca, she's going to realize that that's the dude that killed her uh, sister. And... Instead of killing him immediately, she's going to get married to Carter and poison the family from the inside out. Mm, look at that. And this is all Polo's fault. You didn't think I forgot, right? Polo's the reason for all this. Polo and Matir are hand in hand. 916-633-1537, Ratchet and Ratchet at gmail.com, Ratchet Book Club on Twitter, um, patreon.com backslash single simulcast, buymeacoffee.com backslash sscast, uh, leave a review on Podchaser, uh, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to the show at. Thank y'all so much for listening. I greatly do appreciate each and every one of y'all. I love reading these books. It's good to be back in it. Y'all be good. I'll holler at you later. Peace.
intro and outro to Ratchet Book Club is by That Kid Garan, and it's called Goodbyes. You can email him at tkgbeats94 at gmail.com for more information on how to lease this beat. This is Single Simulcast. Don't know my name, and you say.